Wow. You know, church growth experts say that you will not come out to church on Monday night and Tuesday night and Sunday night. That's what they say. They say people just won't come to church in the middle of the week. I always say if you give them a reason to come, they will come. And how many know that only reason for that is there's no other name higher than the name of Jesus? I love it when God puts things together. Pastor had no idea as he's leading his worship and leading the team tonight that the title of my message is, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? All things are possible. Would somebody shout, all things are possible? I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1, and starting at verse 21 through 23. Turn your, your Bible on and get ready. If you will allow me, I believe this message will speak to your heart. It's a simple message filled with amazing doctrinal truth. Because I'm sensing that God really wants to touch us in a powerful way, not only in this service, but I believe with his presence, his anointing, the reign of his presence, the rivers of his presence. If you were here last night, you understand that. The rivers of his presence, the wind of the power of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit. How many say amen for that? Amen. Just send the oil, Lord. The, the oil of the Holy Spirit along with the presence and the power and the rain and the wind, the new wine and the fire and the dove. That was last night. If you were not here last night, I strongly recommend you pick up that teaching. Uh, talking to people in the lobby, they were just saying that teaching on the Holy Spirit uh, was, was so awesome for them, and they learned so much. I want to stop right here and tell you thank you on behalf of my wife and uh, my beautiful family, and uh, all the money that you have supported us with will go to pay for starving children, mine. <laughs> no, that's, that's bad. But as Pastor has been saying, there are churches that will call uh, really every week, and the pastor will say, Brother Randy, we can't fly you in, we can't put you up, uh, we could take you to get a six-inch at Subway, which is at the gas station. That's a true story. Uh, I got a call one time from a pastor, and he said, uh, I'm in Lizard, no, it was a Lizard Lick, Arkansas, I believe it was, or, and I said, where in the world is Lizard Lick, Arkansas, or Possum Neck, Mississippi, I've been there too in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, there are these one little horse towns, and they'll say, you know what, we've got a, a Walmart close by, we could take you to get a six-inch sub, and, and then I'll say, well, why did God lead you there? And when they start sharing their heart, it's only a matter of time before I'm crying with them. And I tell them, okay, guys, we're coming. And they'll say, Pastor, there's, we got 25 people in a little ramshackle church, and I'll say, don't worry, God's going to lay it on the heart of somebody, and God's going to come. And, and usually, God brings us there, not so much for the church itself, but to encourage that pastor and his wife, and to minister to them, and to breathe new life into them, and fresh vision into them. That's what you're giving for. Because we have something called the fifth Sunday month, and in April, we have a fifth Sunday month coming up. And what we do is once all the bills are paid in the month, we'll set anything that's over. I call that our seed. We set that seed aside and learning that from Joseph in Egypt. That's a whole other teaching. And they set that seed aside and we put it in a little five Sunday month uh, uh, account. 
And once we have enough to pay for an airline ticket and pay for a hotel and the rental car and all those things and a little offering to bring the pastor, then I'll call those churches and say, when we have a fifth Sunday, we're coming. And it's because churches like the one Church on the Rock, uh, they have provided and other churches. And I'm telling you guys, it's awesome. I take you with me when I walk into those little churches and I see that they don't have praise and worship. They'll play a CD. And do you know I've had more powerful services in those little churches? Well, one of them was Lamar, Missouri, where Pastor Mark is, pastor's brother. And we saw more, a move of God that was just unbelievable. And people always ask me, Brother Randy, why do you go to those small churches? And I'll smile and say, because I never know where my for such a time is going to be. For my for such a time as this. So thank you. Uh, we needed a miracle offering this week. Uh, many thousands of dollars just to continue going. And uh, so I just thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. Let's get into this message. What's in a name? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. I'm reading from the King James Version. My grandmother would say in Spanish, the only authorized version, but that's another. <laughs> and she will bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, let's say it together, God with us. Let's say it again, God with us. Names carry a lot of weight in the Bible. There are several names in the Bible that you never want to name your children. I would suggest that you don't name your son Judas, or you would not name your daughter uh, Jezebel. Those just don't have good attachments because of circumstances that follow these people. Now, this concept of names really got me thinking this afternoon. What's in a name? What's in a name? That's an eternal question. An eternal question, the answer has a bearing on all of our tomorrows. What's in a name? Well, in 1 Samuel 4, there's a story of a woman. She's actually the daughter-in-law of Eli, the high priest. And I would suggest that you read the story in its entirety tonight before you go to bed. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, this woman is married to Eli's son. His name is Phineas. And she was in the process of giving birth, and she thought this was going to be her greatest day in her life. It turns out to be the worst day of her life. She's in the middle of labor, the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 4. And while she's in the process of giving birth, a servant came into the room where she was, into the birthing chamber. And he says to her, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen by the Philistines. She hears the news that the presence of God, the ark of God, the favor of God has been stolen. Understand, prior to Acts, the second chapter, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in the tabernacle, and it was moved continually around, and it sat on the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant. It was a symbol of God's presence with Israel. And she hears that the presence of God, the ark of God, the favor of God is stolen, this same messenger tells her, he says, not only has the ark of God been stolen, but your father-in-law, the high priest, the one who stands before God, before the nation of Israel, the voice of God to a nation is now dead. 
So what he's telling her is, we no longer have the presence of God in our nation, and the voice of God, the one who speaks to us from God, has been silenced. And then he says, oh, and by the way, when your father-in-law heard the ark was stolen, he fell over while sitting on a chair, and he broke his neck. Oh, and by the way, he says, uh, even worse news, your husband, Phineas, was in the battle, and he's been killed, and you are now a widow, and she looks at him, and she's in total disbelief. And the Bible says that she is overcome by her birth pains. The actual Hebrew word for overcome means she is struggling, or the child was a breech born, and she's struggling for her life, literally, and she's hanging there and clinging between life and death, And she gives birth to this child, and as she gives birth to this child, every ounce of her strength is gone. Emotionally, she's gone. She realizes the ark is gone. My husband is gone. Uh, Everything is getting bad. And the woman comes around and says, you gave birth to a son. What shall you call him? And the Bible says, she looks and she says, name him Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. Name him Ichabod, the glory has departed. Point number one, do not ever allow your present situation to name your future. Oh, hear it again. You never let your present situation name your future. It's easy to get into a bad season in your marriage or in your home, on your job, in a relationship with our children, because we are emotional people. Emotions are good servants, but they are poor masters. The tragedy is many Christians are being led by their emotions and not a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview simply means we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe every dot, every jot, every tittle, every exclamation point, all 66 books of the Bible have been inspired and given from God. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. And so when you have a biblical worldview, you allow every decision, every situation is funneled not through your emotions, but they're funneled through God's word. And yet what's sad is many Christians allow their emotions to run their life and they allow their present situation to name their future. And it's so easy to get into that situation. She names the child Ichabod. And when she names him Ichabod, she went on to say, because the glory has departed. In essence, what she is saying is, my life, the glory's departed from my life, from my marriage, from my family. There's no longer a voice of God in the nation and my church. There's no more happiness. There's no more joy in my life. So just name the child Ichabod or what I'm presently going through because the glory has departed. Can you imagine that little boy as he's growing up, every time he ran into the house or into the room, his family is reminded of the worst possible thing in the history of their nation. And he runs in the house, Icky, come on in. Oh, Icky runs in the house. It's all your fault. Can you imagine that kid living with that? The glory has departed. It's your fault, Icky. Now listen, she could have just very easily have named him, the glory will come again. But she was so caught up in the negative. She was so caught up 
and focus on where she was at the moment. Her emotions were completely running her life that she allows herself to get caught up in the negative and her present circumstance, and she allows her circumstances to prophesy the fulfillment of her future. You never allow your circumstances to prophesy the fulfillment of your future. But then you fast forward to the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, and it says that the prophet said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So tonight, we have two names that are speaking out to us. Two names, one choice. Two names, one choice. Hear it again. You have two names and one choice. And in that, I see that you have two kinds of spirits, and you have to choose Which kind of attitude and spirit will you allow to attach to your home, to your marriage, to your church and your family? The spirit of Ichabod says that life is going down, down, down. And the moment I deal with this, here comes that. And the moment I deal with that, well, here comes this. And if you're not careful, you just start taking on that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude. Be careful because it's contagious. And if you want to have an icky spirit and an icky attitude, that's your choice. Problem is, misery loves company. And you begin to pass it on to your children and your grandchildren. Suddenly it gets to the point that nobody wants to be around you. They'll see you in the grocery store. My grandmother used to say, if you see sister so-and-so in the store, go the other way, mijo. And if she catches you, don't ask her how she's doing. Because she's going to tell you. It's going to ruin your day. And you start believing all this stuff. When you have an attitude that the glory has departed, the joy, the hope, the fun, you begin to look like the cover girl model or the cover boy model for the book of Lamentations. You're slow, but you're worth waiting for. And you know, I have seen people, especially Christians, who say they have the joy of the Lord, and yet they're so sour. We're supposed to have the victory of God, and yet we're so sour. And when life hits them, they seem that they cannot recover. They can't come back. And we all get hit by life. How many know what it is to be hit by life? And it's not that when you are hit by life, it's not that you don't go through things like everybody else goes through things. We all go through stuff. We all go through junk, but when you have Emmanuel, you don't go through it the same way someone else goes through it. And that doesn't mean that God is going to insulate you from the world. It doesn't mean you can say, Lord, put me in a Pentecostal incubator and and don't let me have anything bad happen. Someone asked me the other day, Pastor, why do bad things happen to good people? I smiled and said, well, show me the good people. Because all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. And because of sin, because when Adam and Eve sinned, our bodies began to degenerate, sin came into the picture, and it doesn't matter if you're spirit-filled, it doesn't matter if you're tongue-talking, it doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal dancing and you just love God, you just might get cancer. Because our bodies are degenerating and we won't have a glorified body till we get to heaven and being saved does not insulate you from the ramifications of sin in this world. 
I wish I could tell you as a pastor that you're not going to go through things, but you're going to go through things. I wish I could tell you people aren't going to talk about you, but people are going to talk about you. In fact, there are people right now, every morning when they brush their teeth, they sharpen their tongue just thinking about talking about you. And you work with them. Amen? And you sit in the cubicle right next to them. Ichabod, Ichabod. And it's amazing that we as Christians get angry at God and we say, God, why is it that I'm going through this hard thing? Listen, my grandmother say, mijo, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're insulated from the ramifications of sin and the things of this world. But we don't go through them with the same spirit as the world. When we get bad news and adversity and challenges come, we don't have to go through it with an Ichabod, the glory has departed attitude. No, you go through it with Emmanuel, God is with us. Yes, things are difficult, but I'm not focusing on the difficult. Yes, things are hard, but this is temporary. My tents are pitched on enemy territory. This is not flower beds of ease. This place is not my home. I'm on my way to 101 Hallelujah Boulevard on the other side of the Jordan River. I'm an alien in a street. Oh, if you believe what I'm preaching, come on, clap your hands and believe it right now. Amen? I'm here to tell you that I hear in my spirit, the Bible declares to us, Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. I want you to say that. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Turn to the person next to you, smile, and just tell them, Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Listen, how you pray will determine how you live. Oh, don't miss it. How you pray will determine how you live. If you pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. If you're always saying Ichabod, 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 the glory's departed, you're going to live an icky life. I'm just here to tell you. But if you live a life that says Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod, you begin to realize greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, then suddenly God begins to do miracles in your life. Say it again, Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. I'll say it again. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. It all depends on how you respond to adversity. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 4 was thrown in prison. He's got chains around his wrist and his ankles, and he writes in Colossians chapter 4, pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. He says, this is why I am in chains, because I'm preaching the gospel. Here's a man who understands Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. He's got chains on his feet, chains on his wrists, and he's thanking God because I know the opportunity is coming that I could preach the gospel. Everything around him is saying, Ichabod, Ichabod, it's not going to happen. But he's looking past the circumstance, and he's looking to the mighty God, and he's saying, pray for us that we can begin to move into greater opportunity. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. I want you to get that deep in your spirit. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. And if you're not careful, you get Ichabod's spirit that says life is just a burden. Life is just a trial. It's just so hard. 
I think I'm going to go home and eat some worms. Pastor didn't even know I was wearing my new dress from Walmart. Nobody said nothing. Got my weave done. Nobody said nothing. Went and got my nails done, you know, and you come all walking in. We call it the pimp walk in the hood. You came walking in, you know, because pimping ain't easy. You come walking in and I know some of you are like, oh, my Lord. (laughs) Nobody even noticed that Ichabod icky spirit. Friends, we live in a world, in a society that is screaming, Ichabod, Ichabod, Ichabod. My Lord, every time you turn on the news, it's politically Ichabod, Ichabod. The glory's departed from Washington. The glory's departed from the FBI. The glory's departed from the CIA. The glory's departed from the Treasury. Oh, the, you know, and I just heard that this young man in Kentucky just walked into the school. How many saw that? And 15 years old, open fire on these kids. I'll be in that area uh, the second Sunday, February 10th, about 30 minutes away, and we're already planning to go into that high school on that Friday. And that's one of the churches, by the way, that couldn't afford to fly us in. So you're helping us go to that area. And I'll be speaking at that high school on February 9th. Oh, praise God. And every time you turn on the news, the glory is departed. ABC, NBC, woe is me. People are freaking out. But that's not the message of the church. That's not the message of Church on the Rock. That's not the message of the hour. Listen, friends, the message of the church is Emmanuel, God is with us. And whatever we face in life, whatever situations come, whatever happens morally to this nation, whoever is leading in the White House, whoever is leading in Congress and the Senate, I'm so glad that the Bible didn't say Donald Trump is with us or didn't say that the Democrats are with us or the Republicans are with us. It says Emmanuel is with us. What's the power in that name? Emmanuel is with us. That should make you want to shout that men will come and men will go, but the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth shall live forever. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise it. Just praise it. You're not alone. And I'm concerned that the church can take on that Ichabod spirit. It's almost like the church says, the glory has departed. Where's the revival? Where's the miracles? Where's the blessing? Icky, icky, icky. And then, you know, you turn on Christian television, and you have these preachers on there doing the icky shuffle. Help me know what the icky shuffle is. It's where they're shuffling away from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're shuffling away from the power of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And they're saying things like, well, signs and wonders and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for another dispensation. They're not for us today. But I've come to tell you the message of the Bible is still the same. Emmanuel, God with us. The same God who spoke the world into existence in Genesis. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God that told the ocean this far and no further. The same God that breathed the breath of life into the first Adam. He created Adam out of nothing. He actually went and he began to form him with some dirt. But God never forms anything that he's not going to fill. 
He formed Adam out of a pre-existing substance, out of that mud and that dirt, and he and he filled him with an eternal spirit, which tells me you really don't know who you are until you get into the altar and have him have him breathe on you. This week, how many have experienced him breathing on you? And that tenderness of the Holy Spirit. That's the message. It's the same God that told the oceans this far and no further. Said, let there be light and there was light. It's the same God in the book of Acts that healed the blind. It's the same God that raised the dead. It's the same God that walked in to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Had to call his name so the whole graveyard didn't empty out. Can you imagine if he'd have just said, come forth, they all would have come hopping out. But he said, Lazarus. It's the same God. It's the same God. Because he said, I shall not leave you alone. I shall give you the olos paracletus, the personality of the Holy Spirit. I wish I had time to teach you on the one true God. It's one of our fundamental doctrines of our faith. That we are Trinitarian. It's the same God. He's alive and well and operating in this church. He's operating in the world in the form of the Holy Spirit. The same yesterday, today, and forever. For those of you that say, well, preacher, you know what? I don't believe in signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at you and say, why would God leave the church powerless now when we need him more than we've ever needed him before? Why would he lead us powerless now when we're just about to hear the trumpet sound of God? We're just about to see the dead in Christ rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air. The great harvest is right here. The harvest is right, but the workers are few. So why would he leave us powerless now when we are facing more difficulties than the church has seen in 2,000 years? Holy Spirit, send the power. Emmanuel, God is with us. Softly say it. Emmanuel, God is with us. Oh, I know, Pastor, but I just don't see any miracles. And so I don't know if that's for today. I beg to differ. Friends, miracles are all around us. God has wired us in such a way that we are hypersensitive to new stimuli. But over time, the difficulties of life and the cataracts of the customary. Oh, I like that. The cataracts of the customary. Those of us that are getting older and we're having to get reading glasses and we're having to get, you know, I was laughing at my dad the other day because I said, Dad, how many pairs of glasses do you have in one pair of glass? Glass. He said, I got four. So if I look up this way, I got it one way. If I look this way, and he... The cataracts of the customary. Those of you that are older, you, you understood that, didn't you? You started laughing. <laughs> What's a cataract? A cataract is a piece of flesh that goes over your eye and clouds your vision. So the cataracts of the customary are the fleshly things that we allow in our lives that begin to go over our spiritual eyes and cloud our vision to the miracles that are all around us. 
Wow. And when that happens, you lose, we lose our awareness of the miracles that are all around us, and we lose our awe of God. I want you to ask yourself, those of you that are mature in the Lord, have you lost your awe of God? Every morning, are you in awe of that name? That wonderful name. And you need to realize that there are miracles happening all around us. So you might think that you're sitting still right now. And that you're sitting there on your blessed assurance in that little chair. But did you know right now, planet Earth is spinning around on axis at a speed of 1,000 miles an hour? Right now? That's a scientific fact. And did you know that every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls a celestial 360 degrees around the sun? And did you know that we are hurtling through space right now at an average speed of 67,108 miles an hour? Hyperspace. Right now, that's what we're doing. But you think you're sitting still. It's an amazing miracle of God. Did you know that 60,108 miles an hour, that's 87 times faster than the speed of sound? And on every day, did you know? Now, I'm going to help you out, guys. On a day that you feel like you don't want to do anything, you know, you don't want to mow the lawn, you're not going to clean the garage, you're just going to lay on the couch and watch sports. Let me help you out when your wife tells you you're lazy. I want you to say, no, no, babe. What you don't understand is I've traveled today 1,599,793 miles through space. Because that's the distance that we travel through space in our orbit every day. That's a miracle from God. And if that's not miraculous enough, and I don't know really what is... When's the last time you thank God for keeping us in orbit? When's the last time you thank God for keeping us tilted at just the right degrees and just a right space from the earth to the sun so we don't burn up or we don't freeze? When's the last time you thank the almighty God for the tides in the oceans, for the lunar tides? If it wasn't for the lunar tides, the oceans would be a cesspool of dying filth. When's the last time you thank God for your heartbeat and your lungs expanding? What blows my mind is we have all kinds of faith to believe God for these impossible things. We have all the faith to believe God the sun's going to come up tomorrow. We have all the faith to believe God that the Earth is going to move and the orbits and the Milky Way is balanced and all the stars are in place and the North Star is still sitting there guiding us by the hand of God. We've got all the faith in the world to believe for these miraculous signs in the heaven can't trust him to tithe. Can't trust him to believe for my healing. Oh, I can trust him to have faith in the name of God, the powerful Savior, because the sun's going to come up, but I can't trust him to believe for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or to repair my broken heart 
or to tithe my 10% and live on 90%. Not that God needs it, by the way. He wants you to learn how to trust him. And there are some of you struggling financially. And you can trust God for the miracles around you, but you can't trust him financially? Listen, compared to keeping the planets in orbit and the tides moving and the planets going, how big is your biggest problem to God? How big is your financial situation? Oh, you could trust him for great things, but can't trust him to tithe and get you out of debt. Friends, nothing is too difficult for God. Emmanuel, God is, come on. Emmanuel, God is with us. And it's time the church began to realize that we're not called to march around with the dull platoons marching in a syncopated beat with our heads bent and our shoulders slumped and saying, well, I'm just waiting for the second coming. I can't wait for the rapture. I'm just holding on. No, 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 no. Our life is not meant just to hold on. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's the message of the hour. That's the message that you must proclaim on a daily basis as the lampstand to the people that are all around us. Emmanuel, God is still with us. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we have an amazing story of the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman has amazing faith, and she doesn't have any children, and she goes and tells the prophet, she says, listen, you've been so good to us. She tells her husband, here's what I want you to do, baby. I want you to go and build a room on top of the house, and I, because I, there's no comfort in around, and, and there's no Motel 6, and, and the Marriott is not heard of as yet, and there's no place for the prophet to lay his head. And by the way, the prophet in the Old Testament was a typology of God the Father. The servant is a typology of the Holy Spirit. They had yet to see the Son. Oh, Lord Almighty. And I want you to put a table in there and a couple of beds and a lamp. Read it, 2 Kings chapter 4. And the prophet comes and he stays in the prophet's chamber and he's so thankful, he tells his servant, Eleazar, I want you to go down and I want you to tell the woman, we're so thankful, what is it that the father can do for you, the master can do for you? And so the the servant goes down and asks her and she says, it's amazing in the King James, she says, don't entreat me. The word entreat actually means don't tease me. Because a servant comes down and says, my master sent me to you. He wants to know what is it he can do for you to show you how much he appreciates and loves you. And she says, don't tease me. How many times has the Holy Spirit come to you and made you a promise and you say, don't tease me? Or I've had people come to me and say, oh, Brother Andy, in prayer, God told me that he's going to open the windows of heaven and he's going to give you all you need financially to do the miracles that you need. And, oh, people are going to come. And I look and I say, oh, okay, great. And I walk away and say, oh, Lord, don't tease me. Which means even the best of us struggle with our faith. And he says, no, no, no. What do you really want? What's in a name? 
And she says, well, your servant is barren. I can't have a child. And he goes back, and the master says, you go and tell her, because of her faith and generosity, by this time next year, she shall have a child. Well, the story jumps forward in 2 Kings. She gives birth to a child, and she says that the child is out in the field with his father. So you have to fast forward and understand the culture. The culture would not send a child out to the field with his father until he is weaned or about 10, 11, or 12 years old, he begins to work in the fields with dad. In other words, the promise has been fulfilled. And the promise is in the field with dad, and he grabs his head, and he says, dad, dad, my head hurts. And he has a major migraine, but it turns into something worse, and he falls dead in the dirt. What do you do when the fulfilled promise is taken? Oh, shut up. When God has given you what you've asked for, but you find it taken from you. Some of you are nodding your head and you're wiping your eyes because you've been there. How you respond to adversity will determine the outcome. He picks up the child, brings him to mom, and mom says to him, baby, Take him to the upper room and lay him down where the prophet has been laying. I could preach a whole series of messages. Are you taking your broken promises to the upper room? Tonight, have you come to take your promises to the upper room and lay down next to the promise of God? She lays him there and she turns to her husband and says, I need the keys to the camel. You're slow, but you're worth waiting for. And he says to her, oh, read it. He says to her, baby, where are you going? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. In other words, there's not a special service going on in church, and it's not Sunday. Where are you going? And she says, I'm going in search of the prophet. I'm going in search of the promise. Remember, the prophet represented the power of God. What's in a name? And she takes the promise and she leaves the dead promise in the upper room. And she goes looking. Now, we fast forward again in 2 Kings and you start reading that once she takes off on the journey in search of the prophet, it jumps in verses so it doesn't tell us how long the journey was, but it tells us now from the prophet's point of view, he looks up and he sees her coming. Remember, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's creative God. Someone asked me one time, Pastor, why do we pray if God already knows the outcome? Why should I pray? Why should I begin to call on God? If he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, why should I do those things? Listen to me, friend. It's not that God can't do it. It's that you can't do it without God. And when you pray in the name of Jesus, the promised one, what you're saying is, Lord, I'm asking to partner with you. 
And your hand moves the hand of God. Your, your prayer, you're partnering with God. It's, it's a privilege to pray because now you're partnering with the creator of the universe. You come in, blows my mind, just blows my mind that the king of the universe would allow mere mortal flesh like you and I to partner with him in miracles. And so she goes searching. And he looks up, and he sees her coming, and the prophet turns to his mighty divine helper. He turns, and he says to him, I believe that is the Shunammite that had the miracle happen to her. Go meet her at the gate. Oh, don't miss this. Go meet her at the gate. Again, if we had time, I could teach you on the gates of Jerusalem. Did you know that in Jerusalem, there are 12 gates? Just like the new Jerusalem where there are 12 gates. But did you also know that you have gates in your life? The eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate. Oh, my Lord. God meets us at the gate. You see, the gates are points of entry. He meets you at your point of entry. He meets you where your faith is. And so the servant representing the Holy Spirit, he goes to the point of faith. He goes to the gate, and he meets her there, and he asks her three pointed questions. She's, now, imagine, she's coming knowing her child is dead, knowing her husband is laying next to her dead child. The promise has been taken away. It all depends on how you react to adversity. And he looks at her, and the servant says, how is it with your husband? And she says three of the most powerful words, it is Well, she could have said, why did it happen to me? I can't believe your master did this to me. If he was going to take the promise away, then why did he give it in the first place? And she could have lamented and cried, but she is stoic. And she says, it is well. It all depends on how you respond to the adversities of life. And then the, the servant says, How is it with you? She's broken. She's hurting. She's lost. Some of you have got children that were brought up in church. You thought they were going to launch out to mighty things for God. You saw all the, and just when the promise was about to be fulfilled, now they want nothing to do with God. And the Holy Spirit tonight is asking you, how is it with you? And she says, it is well. Then he asked the heart of the matter that would many, cause many of us to have our knees buckle. How is it with your son? Right there. How is it with the promise that got ripped out of your heart? Remember, we're talking about what's in a name. And she could have gone into a great lamenting and a crying. Oh, the promise is gone. Can't believe it happened to me. Just not fair. I don't believe this is fair. She just smiles and says, it is well. But when you read the text, she's constantly moving. And it says she moved through the gate and she's moving on her way to the prophet. She's not standing still talking to the Holy Spirit. She's moving. Remember I told you in Genesis it says, and the spirit of the Lord moved. The Holy Spirit will move you to change. 
And if you're really spirit-filled, you're going to change. I'm not just talking about shouting and dancing and moving about. I'm talking about change in your perspective, change in your faith, change in your understanding, change in your spiritual growth. You don't stay the same way you were last year. If you are a Christian serving God and you're still in the place spiritually you were last year, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And she's moving. Why? Because she's trying to get around this blockade. She's, she's trying to get, and he's slowing her down. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit will slow you down. And we want it quick. We want it now. And her thought process was, I've got to get to the prophet. I've got to get to the prophet. I, if, it was, if he could do it once, he could do it again. If he could touch this old barren womb of mine, it's nothing again for him to descend one more time and lay over the dead shell of my son and breathe a fresh breath of life back into him. I've got to get to God. I've got to, it all depends on how you respond to adversity. She gets to the prophet and she tells him and she says, you've got to come with me. And he goes with her and he lays over the child and raises him from the dead. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And you might not see anything happen for a week, a month, a year. Did you know that many theologians believe it took 25 years for Abraham to see Isaac born? From the time he received the promise that Gabriel came to him, the messenger angel. Gabriel, whenever Gabriel showed up, he's the messenger angel. Remember, it was Gabriel that showed up to Samson's parents. He shall keep the Nazarite vow. It was Gabriel who came to Abraham and Sarah. It was Gabriel who came to Zechariah, the messenger angel. It was Gabriel who came to Mary and Joseph. But it was 25 years from the time that Abraham hears the promise from God that Abraham still held on to the promise. Some of us have been only holding on for six months. What's in the name? The question is, what are you made of? Anybody can quit. Anybody can get discouraged and give up. But here's the key. The prophet Jeremiah said, if you will offer up the sacrifice of praise, Emmanuel, God is with us. That means if you'll do the right thing when it's hard, then God will meet you in your praise and fight your battle. Listen to me. Whatever you do, don't lose your praise. Don't lose your praise. The battle may be tough, but keep praising. The people do you wrong, keep praising. The report doesn't look good, keep praising. Oh, you're not catching it yet. Finances go down, keep praising. As long as you've got a praise coming out of your mouth, the battle is not over. I've learned in 29 years of ministry that God never lets a praiser be defeated. The Shunammite woman understood what there's power in the name. It is well. It is well. And in this life, there are a lot of things you can live without. But you can't live without your praise. I want you to tell yourself softly, 
don't lose your praise. At the count of three, you say your name and then say, don't lose your praise. Are you ready? One, two, three. Randy, don't lose your praise. Say it again. Randy, don't lose your praise. Don't lose your praise. Don't lose your praise. Don't lose your praise. Why? Because it's in that praise that the Bible said God inhabits the praises of his people. The Greek word for inhabit means sits down upon. So he literally comes and sits down upon you. Don't lose your praise. Say it again. Don't lose your praise. Let me try to close this for you. When I was in college, they taught us that in preaching class that you had to break it down to the lowest common denominator so everyone could understand. So if you haven't caught it yet, let me break it down to you. Let me give you a deep theological story and explanation that you'll never forget as long as you live. Let me break this down, how God is with us. Once upon a time, there was a little chicken called Chicken Little. I'm going to break it down for you. And he's pecking around the barnyard and enjoying his day. And a little acorn fell out of the tree and hit Chicken Little in the head. And he looked up and went into panic. And he started screaming, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. I told you it's a deep theological truth. It's a doctrinal truth. And Chicken Little gets so excited, he starts running around the barnyard, and he bumps into Ducky Wucky. And Ducky Wucky sees, and he says, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And pretty soon, Ducky Wucky is quacking around, and he's saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, Ducky Wucky goes into panic mode, and he bumps into Horsey Worsey. Has anybody heard this story before? And Horsey Worsey gets to bucking, and he gets to screaming and neighing, and he bumps into Bessie the cow. Thank God for Bessie. Because Bessie the cow looks around, and she sees the acorn, and she says to him, Chicken Little, you got the whole barnyard in a chaos over one little acorn. And friend... If you're not careful, the little acorns of life will hit you in your head, and it'll sting, and it'll hurt. And a problem or a difficulty will hit you, and if you don't respond right, the devil will try and convince you that the whole kingdom of God is coming down on your head, and your marriage is going to be destroyed, and you're going to go bankrupt. And you'll never be healed, and you'll never be set free, and you'll never be delivered. And you can let that acorn be planted in your spirit, and before you know it, that little acorn has sprung up into a full-blown oak tree of doubt and worry and fear, oppression and depression. But I'm here to tell you that just because you have a problem that has hit you, don't you ever think that Jesus has abandoned you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And if you walk with me and you hold on to me, he's promised I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Listen, as I close, it's Emmanuel, not Ichabod. I want you to say it softly to yourself because what you're doing, listen, friend, when you pray correctly, you're prophesying over your life. Prayer prayed correctly is prophesying over your life. How do I pray correctly, pastor? You thank God in advance before you see the miracle. And if I had time, I could teach you how all the champions of God had to learn how to thank him in advance before the miracle came. Even before I see the miracle, even before you see the miracle. Wait, wait, why, pastor? Because I want to know, is there anybody on Church on the Rock that can praise me before the walls of Jericho come down? Can you praise me before the cancer is healed? Can you praise me before God does a miracle in your marriage? Pastor Braden, I want you to come. Pastor Braden, come on. I want you to repeat it to yourself. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Say it now. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Think about all these things that you're dealing with in your life. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Let me tell you something. If Pastor Brian and Pastor Carmen didn't understand this concept, these walls of this church would never be here. You're sitting in a miracle. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. And I'm sure when Joseph was dating, as Pastor begins to play softly, Joseph was dating a little Jewish girl named Mary who was from a respectable, classy Jewish family in Bethlehem. <laughs> he went to her father and he said, hey, listen, you know, I, I really think she's hot. I, I love her. And do you think that you could take me, you know, and I'll take her and we just hook up. And I saw you raise your eyebrows. See, what we don't understand is that when you are engaged in the Jewish culture, it's already fixed. The contract is done. You're married. And they agree for the engagement. And for the next three to six months, the Bible teaches us that Joseph goes off to his father's house. Watch the typology. And in that Jewish culture, what they would do is when the husband was engaged or betrothed, he would go off to the father's house and add a room or a house onto the father's house so that he can bring his bride home. And that's why when Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not true, I wouldn't have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. You're the bride. That where I am, you may be also. So Joseph goes off, and he's building and preparing. And his little cute wife of about 12 or 13 years old is so excited, and she's putting together all the wedding plans, and she's getting ready all the stuff. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why God chose Mary? Why not Elizabeth? Why Mary? And the Holy Spirit whispered one night in study and prayer, because I could trust her to have her life turned upside down and still praise me. (laughs) I could trust her to put all her plans on hold and still love me. 
I could trust her. You see, it's important that we trust God, but can God trust you? Elizabeth, her cousin, was also pregnant. Gabriel appears to them and said, you shall have a child. You shall call his name John. And what is really amazing is that Elizabeth says, should I now have this privilege that my husband is old and wore out? Those of you that have been married as long as I have, you know exactly what that means. Why did Elizabeth, oh, what's in the name? Why did Elizabeth have to wait for a child? Because Mary had to come of age to carry the Messiah. She was carrying the forerunner, but she didn't, wasn't privileged to the behind-the-scenes spiritual activity. She just had to trust God. 99.9% of the time, my brother, we're not privileged to all the workings of God. He's just wondering, are you going to praise me as I work things out? What's in the name? Oh, I'm getting there. I'm almost there. And Gabriel shows up to Mary. Well, let me read it to you. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. You see, the lineage was all there. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What's in a name? He will be great. There's greatness in that name. He'll be called the son of the highest. There's royalty in that name. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's reigning power in that name. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and forever. There's eternity in that name. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, this goes against the laws of nature. Everybody knows you can't have a baby without a man. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Hear me. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still looking for someone he can overshadow and begin to do the impossible when you think it's not possible. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Is there anybody that will raise their hand and say, Randy, I want the Holy Spirit to overshadow me. I just want him to overshadow me. And the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What's in the name? The Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And he must have seen the perplexity in the eyes of a little 13-year-old girl. For Then Gabriel says, for with God... Nothing will be impossible. The Shunammite said, it is well. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. 
and the angel departed. Basically, she said the same thing the Shunammite did. It is well. Oh, she could have said, what about my friends? What about Joseph? But she said, it is, it is well. So now Mary is impregnated with the seed of God. Then she goes off for three months to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant. And nobody sees her for three to six months. And Joseph, her fiancé, comes home. And she comes in to see him. And she comes walking in like this. She goes, hi, Joe. He goes, hey, what's up, Mary? Hey, Joe, we got to talk. You think? No, 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 Joe, you don't understand. This is not Ichabod, it's Emmanuel. An angel came. No, I don't think this is an angel. I think it's the devil, and the Bible says he thought about putting her away. And then Gabriel comes to him, and he says to him, no, this is the plan. I want you to glue your eyes right here. If you're listening, say listening. Come on now, if you're listening, say I'm listening. I want to say to someone whose life is in an upheaval. And everything seems to be going crazy. That what I've learned in 29 years of ministry and my whole life walking with God, that many times what I thought was Ichabod was really Emmanuel working behind the scenes. And the way you feel today has very little to do with what, what God wants to do in your future. In every situation, you have to realize that God is working. God is moving behind this if you stay faithful and say, it is well. Knowing that God is in control. Even in rough times, keep an Emmanuel spirit. This is the last night I will see you. I may never see you again. God may come between the time that we see each other again. If I don't see you again, I'll see you in glory. So if you don't remember anything I tell you, I love you with all my heart, and I'm going to tell you, even in the rough times, keep an Emmanuel spirit, not an Ichabod spirit. Because the Ichabod spirit will say, we don't love each other, let's quit. The glory's departed. I'm giving up on you. I'm giving up on our kids. I'm giving up on our marriage. See, when you first fell in love and got married, it was ideal, wasn't it? Then a few months later, after your marriage, you began to fight a little bit, and it became an ordeal. And if you don't get that fixed, a few months later down the road, you think you got a raw deal. And pretty soon, the devil starts whispering in your ear saying, you need a new deal. No, you don't. You just need to realize Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. And I want you to reach over right now to the person that you're sitting next to you, whether it's your husband or wife or just a friend, we're the body of Christ. And I want you to grab them by the hand, and I want you to begin to pray the spirit of Emmanuel to well up with inside of them. In fact, I want you to stand all over the room right now. I want the rest of the praise team to come. God with us, God with us, God with us, God is with us, God is with us. In Church on the Rock, 
I'm here to tell you that I believe that you have been given the greatest pastoral team that I have spent time with in a long, long time. I've seen their integrity, and I've seen their heart. I've seen their wisdom, and I've seen them interact. And you're literally sitting on a, a move of the Spirit, the likes you have never seen. And with the person with their hand in yours next to you, I want you to lift it now to heaven and begin to pray out loud, Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. There's healing in the name of Jesus. And I want you right now to begin to pray out loud. There's healing in the name. There's forgiveness in the name. Because the Bible says where any two of us agree in touching anything, it can, it will, shall be done. Some of you got to learn to say, it is well. It is well. It is well with my spirit and my soul. Don't lose your praise. I want you right now to begin to praise him. And I don't mean clapping. I don't mean clapping. I mean, I want you to praise him. I want you to lift your hands and praise him. I want you to tell him how wonderful he is. I want you to tell you how marvelous he is. He's asking you right now, how is it with you? And somebody say, it is well with me, Lord. I want you to open your mouth and praise him. Tell him of the goodness and the grace of God. Just praise him right now. Praise him right now. That's it. Open your mouth and praise him. He's meeting you at your gate right now. Wherever the entrance of your faith is, is right where he is meeting you. As the tears begin to flow and your heart begins to be overwhelmed, rivers of living water to begin to come. The rain of the spirit, the oil of gladness and healing to begin to flow. In Jesus' name, pastor, begin, come on. I want you to praise him. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. Come on, praise him. Praise him. There's an anointing that's about to come on, sing it, Britain. Holy Spirit. My God, get ready. My God. Sing it again. Emmanuel is greater than... Father, the spirit of Emmanuel to begin to drive out the spirit of Ichabod. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Can you sing it? Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. 
Come on, sing it again. Sing it again. At the count of three, I just want you to find a place in the altar. And I'm going to ask Pastor Braden to sing that again softly. I believe healing is going to begin to flow in this room. Deliverance is going to flow in this room. Many of you are going to begin to receive ministries that God is going to birth into your heart. Never allow your present circumstances to name your future. You might be going through a difficult time right now in your marriage, but say, devil, I'm not going to allow my present situation to name my future. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm going to find victory and power in the wonderful name of Jesus. And there's such a heavy anointing in this room. I want you to activate your faith. I want you to begin to say, Lord, let it rain. Let it rain, Lord. Let the presence of the power of God flow in this place. I want you to open your mouth, and I want you to begin to walk around the building. Some of you might want to lay on the floor, but I want you to begin to cry out to God and put into practice what you've heard Sunday morning, Sunday night, last night, and tonight, and begin to say, Lord, I am the lampstand. We are going to pray this thing in. Father, we are going to begin to move this thing. Some of you might want to just begin to, don't go out in the lobby, but just walk around the building. Brady's going to lead us in worship. At the count of three, you might want to come to the altar. You might want to turn where you are. But we got to turn this entire house into a practical altar right now and put into principle what we believe. Lord, we believe a great revival is coming. Lord, we believe they're coming off of I-90. Lord, we're going to thank you and praise you in advance right now for the miracle. Father, there's power in the name of Jesus. I want you to pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. At the count of three, you find your place, whether it's the altar or walking around the building or turning where you are, but you need to begin to turn your attention to the master because God is asking you right now, what do you want me to do? 
the same way he, the prophet asked the Shunammite, what do you want me to do? And she had enough faith to say, I want a child. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you need a new job. Whatever it is, the impossible thing. Lord, I come before you. This is what I, I'm longing for, Lord. You know my heart. And I'm going to thank you in advance for it. So at the count of three, you find your place. You find your place. Whether it's the altars or walk in the building. Holy Spirit, have your way. One, don't miss them. Two, three, right now, right now, right now. Come on, Braden, lead us. Right now, right now, right now, right now.